Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Randomly Generated History Club, where three non-historians pick a year at random and try to learn things about it. I'm Ant, and as always, I'm here with my two friends, Will and Anna. Hello. Hi. This week, we're talking about the year 237 BCE. Oof. Yeah, it's uh, a long time ago. And to start (laughs) us off, uh, if possible, could you please give three-word previews for what we're discussing today? Anna. Uh, My three words are pilfer a goat. Pilfer a goat. (laughs) Good. What? <laughs> yep. A singular goat. What? Just the one. Wow. Yeah. Historical goat. And you must pilfer it. Will. Okay. I'll puzzle. I'm puzzling that one out. <laughs> um, okay. Here are my three. Murderous but pacifist. <laughs> <laughs> is that also referring to a goat? It's the same goat. <laughs> That's so good. Um, mine is nearly scuppered, mother. Ooh. Oh, punctuation in the yeah. three words. That's yeah, maybe they're... our first one. That's like a. I don't know. A sentence i wanted to fit in one more word but i'm not going to do that because there are rules and we have to keep by them yeah okay um oh yeah that's absolutely not allowed no (laughs) three words only infinite punctuation yeah i've been yelled at for my three (laughs) words in the past but we should try i think we should give awards to one another for the most meaning that you can pack into the three words (laughs) like like, is is it hemingway who came up with those six word stories yeah for sale baby shoes never worn right yeah that would break the rules three words (laughs) i know yeah hemingway would be right it could be two episodes for sale baby (laughs) shoes never worn a lot of people have always said about me that I'm twice as efficient as Hemingway. (laughs) Should we go on and have an efficient podcast? Oh, I don't think that's in the cards. Yeah, this this week was genuinely very challenging. It was a very long time ago. Yeah, There there was nothing really happened in 237 BCE that I wanted to talk about. Look forward to the episode, listeners. Yeah, Yeah, you're in for a treat. Here we go. Okay, so I'm starting us off, and this week I am 
talking about the Egyptian pharaoh, Ptolemy III. Now, before uh, we get started, Ptolemy is spelt with a silent P at the start of the name. Mm -hmm. So if you want to Google and do some research afterwards, it's P-T-O-L-E-M-Y and then three spelt just three. So Ptolemy III was the son of Ptolemy II and the grandson of... Okay, do you want a joke guess? Or I think I know the answer. Wrong, Ptolemy the first. <laughs> he was, uh, he was, just went by Ptolemy though during his lifetime. Um, while you think... <laughs> Not like Timmy or no, something. No, Timmy, yeah. Or Trey. Trey or PT. Um, Is it presumptuous for me to call myself William the first? <laughs> no, I think you're fine. I think as long as there's two more and we will be checking. Because okay. this is going to go on for 3,000 episodes, remember? Yeah, 60 years. So you might think that his accession, ascension to the throne was guaranteed because, you know, he had the name. Uh, it turned out to be not so straightforward. Uh, he was taken out of the royal succession mm. due to what is said to be his mother's indiscretion and disgrace. Ooh. Um, there's no details on this, but I'm hoping it was something badass at the very least and not just something benign and just anti-woman as it probably was. Um, but that was his mother's fault. His, mother's, his mother did something disgraceful, brought the name into disrepute, and as a result, uh, Ptolemy III yeah. was taken out of succession yeah. order. Well, you should always punish the children for the mother's <laughs> mistakes. The, the sins of the mother. Yeah, is, as exactly. It goes. But, um, so this is where nearly scuppered, comma, mother comes in. Uh-huh. Oh. Uh, this is, this is uh, getting in there early with my three words, because I didn't want to give anything away. <laughs> and you succeeded. <laughs> You're welcome. But... Ptolemy does manage... Wait, hang on. Stop, stop, stop. So hang on. Okay. Shouldn't it be... Shouldn't rather... Shouldn't it be mother nearly scuppered rather than... In hindsight, I didn't put a lot of effort into the three words. <laughs> uh, I just had, the, you know, the ghost of Hemingway on my back, yeah. you know, saying this is never going to be good enough. Uh, you'll never right. get into the... You could I have said, well. I, and we can move on after this, but you could have... Wow. Gotten, you could have squeezed another word in there had you hyphenated and said nearly mother scuppered <laughs> something else. Or, um, no, or son, comma, nearly mother scuppered. Yes. Oh, yeah. And it, it would is. be a semicolon. There it is. In between I can't son and... wait for your turns. Okay, and I'm going to okay. completely tear you a new one. Sorry, keep going. Back to the thing we're all here for education. <laughs> <laughs> so Ptolemy manages to get back into his pop's good books and he does ascend to the throne when he's 34. So he's quite aged mm, at this stage, mm -hmm. 34. And the dynasty, the Ptolemic Tol dynasty at this time is at its peak. It really is a powerhouse. Uh, and he furthered the gathering of wealth and power, centralising it into Egypt by marrying, um, I think it's Berenice, or maybe Bernice spelt mm. in, in a funny way, Bernice II, who was the queen of Seneca and was his half-cousin in modern-day Syria. So he took those lands and brought them centralised. Uh, but Berenice, or Bernice, is actually pretty interesting too. I want to focus on her for a little bit. Uh, she ruled shortly after the death of Alexander the Great. And her father, Magus, was fighting with Ptolemy II. Uh, and Berenice II was just kind of cool. Um, so she, hang on, so her dad was like at war with his dad. With his Yes. Grand and then they did the yeah. old marry the enemy's daughter union thing. Yeah, it, it, it very. I'm not going to mention the, the TV show that I have in mind where there's several thrones, they're playing a game about them, but I think we sort of have to ban that. Yeah. But I'm it sure. is very much of that ilk. Well, was it 
were they like Romeo and Juliet in that they were in love with oh, each no. other despite warring families? Or oh, this was no. a marriage of... Oh, this is a marriage of convenience okay. land acquisition. Yeah. But Very Nice on Her Own was pretty cool. Apparently there's a quote from the astronomer Gaius Julius Hyganus. And he claims that uh, when Berenice's father, Magus, and his troops were rooted in bar- battle, Berenice mounted a horse, rallied the remaining forces, killed many of the enemy, and drove the rest to retreat. Uh, it does go on to say the veracity of the story is unclear. But, <laughs> <laughs> but quote, it's not on the face of it impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like once an episode we have a disclaimer like that. Like yeah. it almost certainly didn't not happen. I love historians passively aggressive taking chunks out of each other is yeah. my favourite thing that I've learned. Uh, <laughs> she did come to power in spite of her own mother plotting against her and trying to undo the promise of Magus to marry very nice to Ptolemy III and instead wanted to marry her off to a guy called Demetrius the Fair. Mm. Uh, Demetrius, with the help of the former queen consort, uh, uh, her mother, Apme, took control of the city of Cyrene and, uh, you know, basically was going to sort of force this marriage to very nice to sort of keep the power away from. So she wanted him, yeah. her to choose yeah, yeah. a nice local boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice, nice local this. boy. Yeah, okay. So this came undone, though, when very nice found this handsome chap, Demetrius, in bed with her own mother. Oh. And so did the only Ooh. reasonable thing and had him assassinated. I mean, there is a lot of mother scuppering in, there this, is a, <laughs> in this tale. There really is. So, hang on, can we just unpack that for a moment? Mm-hmm. So, her mother yep. was trying to set her up with this apparently nice yeah, person. Yeah, handsome Demetrius. And simultaneously, she was sleeping with him. She was scuppering. I mean, yeah, why do we think <laughs> yeah. she she wanted to keep him close, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway... Uh, I really admire her mother. That's very... Yeah, she's, oh, no. yeah, some strong, Some strong, independent women here. But uh, after the assassination, there wasn't so much to be married. Um, and that kind of put an end to Atme, her mother's conniving. And so Berenice, Bernice took the throne. In Egypt. In Syria. Oh, sorry. For sorry. marrying it, right, Ptolemy and uniting right. it. Anyway, ah. so she marries Ptolemy III and unites the once fighting lands. And they did this really cool thing, which I'm really supportive of, is they formed a cult to worship themselves. Oh, <laughs> love it. Yeah, so her and her husband were gods, uh, yeah. which is great. It's so much better than just regular old king. Um, <laughs> Ptolemy was known also as Ptolemy the Benefactor. Huh. He massively encouraged trade, and he actually built a library at Alexandria. He's the ah. one who did the thing. No, not, not the great... Library of Alexandria, but like oh. a secondary sort of backup. Oh, <laughs> oh right. Just, just a library. A library. Not the a, library. Yeah, so he brought the, he, he built the famous Telemic library overflow unit. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Book depository Book depository unit. annex. <laughs> and he actually tied this with the trade. It's really interesting. So he encouraged this free trade and moving about. However, any books coming into port had to be confiscated and copied in this backup library mm. and then given back to the sailors or whatever. So he was centralising knowledge and science and amassing this wealth as well. Um, and, and as a result, some discoveries sort of came about from this. So his librarian of the backup library, mm-hmm. um, like the lesser known one, yeah. uh, made discoveries with the help of these texts, calculating the distance between the Earth and the Sun. Oh. Uh, also understood and calculated that the Earth was round and that the Earth spun on an axis. So all of this in 327 BCE is pretty impressive. Yeah. You know, um, 
Are we maybe giving too much credit to the librarians here? (laughs) (laughs) How much credit in principle belongs to the person discovering the thing versus the people who assembled the information and made it available? Well, so this librarian allegedly made this discovery. However, he could have just copied it from a book that he got on a ship and then put his name at the bottom of it. Because Ptolemy, we're in the the time in Egypt when it's ruled by the Greeks, right? So we're probably taking some knowledge from... Greece, yeah, okay, but still, we love librarians. He also sure. a controversial <laughs> statement. <laughs> I'm just wow. putting it out there. It Those peddlers of knowledge <laughs> and paper cuts. Um, so the, he also built the Temple of Horus at Edfu, which is one of the masterpieces of this era, and it's still standing. It's one of the best preserved of all Egyptian temples. Uh, and he also formed an alliance, as well as becoming a god himself, formed an alliance with the elite priests, which were the top priests at the time. And he built numerous still-standing structures to Amun and other gods. Uh, He furnished them with power and wealth, and and they unanimously agreed that he was a very good pharaoh and so blessed his his, his time as in charge. However, he did nearly come a cropper when he got stuck into a third Syrian war, where he did successfully march his troops all the way there, and every town sort of, you know, gave up and surrendered willingly to him. But... When he got there, he had to turn back because there was a bit of a revolt back at home because the crops had failed. Um, Yeah, so he had to come back and sort that out. But uh, when he did come back, he started issuing some decrees and he realised there were some structures in society that wasn't really working. And he carved on hieroglyphics and... uh, Sorry, he carved on stones for the first time, not just hieroglyphics, but also in ancient uh, Greek and also in another language called Demotic. 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 Mm-hmm. Oh, oh God, you're getting excited. I'm I, so excited. I feel like I'm straying into your knowledge base. <laughs> you have strayed well oh, into the base. God. But anyway, on these stones, he uh, these trilingual stones, he talked about how the priesthood should have some reforms in them, what should happen in times of war and famine. Basically, sort of semblance of slight social welfare-esque Um and he also added an extra day in the year every four years. Oh. Yeah. Ptolemy leap year. Ptolemy leap Ptolemy year. Day. Ptolemy, Ptolemy day. Ptolemy day, which is what it will be called henceforth. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so to kind of wrap this up, this practice of inscribing decrees like on the stone that's not just hieroglyphics continued after him. And his son, uh, guess his name. <laughs> oh, oh no, no, no. <laughs> Go on, Anna. Mother Scupper. <laughs> Mother Scupper, uh, Ptolemy IV, uh, was oh. responsible for inscribing the Rosetta Stone. Yeah. Yeah, which allows us to understand hieroglyphics. And uh, Ptolemy III lived until he was 58, which at the ancient at that time. Yeah. Because uh, people were dying, you know, n- people getting past 40 was a rarity. So he was like this ancient, ancient being. Um, and then he, he passes on and... Uh, why, to- why was it so... Why were people not living very long at that? I mean, I know, obviously... <laughs> Uh, (laughs) this is a serious question yeah (laughs) no because my understanding was that historically uh the thing that suppressed life expectancy was like child mortality and actually once you get past you know into adulthood actually Mm. people lived quite long diet medicine running with scissors like all all these (laughs) things failed wars in syria also i'd like to make a second point please Mm. uh if, if if you'll indulge me which is around like how much of the things that you mentioned were things that those people actually did as themselves as the king yeah at that time or pharaoh versus were just things that were going on amongst the learned people of that society during their reign and so they're kind of like 
this to take credit for it. It would have, it would have happened anyway. Yeah. You know, like I, I love how you're asking these questions. Like we have some sort of specialized knowledge of 237 well, BC. Well, um, oh, I when forgot, I was there, I forgot which, I forgot which <laughs> yeah. podcast I was on. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Come <laughs> so, on, Will. <laughs> okay, I, I withdraw my question. I will Google it. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you are right to be boring for a second. History is written by the pharaohs that survive, right? So you know, maybe he didn't do any of this. Maybe he was just this very lazy dude, and people were just cleaning up around him. But yeah. I don't want to believe that. I think Ptolemy's one through four were great. Yeah. And I look forward to celebrating Ptolemy Day every February 29th. <laughs> every February 29th. <laughs> every four years. <laughs> well, that's my portion. Who's next? Nice. Okay. Very yeah. cool. Awesome. William. Hello. Hello. I'm going to talk about the story of the Emperor Ashoka, Ooh. Mm-hmm. who ruled in modern day India from 268 BCE to 232 BCE, uh, when he died in his early 70s. So the, the year we're interested in, he's already about 65-ish and has ruled for 30-odd years. He was so 65. An- another old guy. Ancient. Yeah. Ancient for the ancients. <laughs> Uh, and um, and he's a, he's a fascinating figure for a couple of reasons. So first, because he ruled such a large swathe of what is now modern India, and he influenced its culture quite dramatically and its development for centuries to come. So he was just a generally influential dude. Um, and then the second major reason is because in his latter years, after conquering a whole bunch of territory and experiencing the horrors of war and everything that was associated with that, he became a pacifist oh. ah. and turned to Buddhism. His overall influence was sort of twofold. It was both expansionist, but then it was also kind of defined but latterly by this period of stability uh, brought about by his stopping expanding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and, and there was a bit of a snag, though, arguably, uh, with his interpretation of of, of pacifism. So can you guess guess what the snag was? Mm. (laughs) Violence. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's it. You nailed it. So so he, he wasn't so much a pacifist as just someone who didn't want to expand their territory anymore. And, and when it came to internal revolts or people attacking his territory, he was still very content to be extremely vicious and okay. violent. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, so he was, I think he was less, he's like less a pacifist than just a defensive. Yeah. Or just a, ne- you know, like a never expander. A never expander. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, cool yeah. of thought. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, his story, his story really starts like about 60 years before he was born really, or about 100 years before the year we're interested in, in, in 326 BCE, because that was the year that Alexander the Great mm-hmm. uh, first crossed the Hindu Kush mountains. And Alexander came in with his big veteran army who had been through a lot by that point, And they settled down in the Indus River and he summoned to him the two local kings of this part of India to him to sort of pay homage and to submit to his reign Mm -hmm. and it turned out in the end one of them did and one of them ended up not doing that and trying to fight him in battle and ended up uh, then losing that subsequent battle um and there were a bunch of other small skirmishes and minor battles that happened like that 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 alexander and his gang got up to at that point and then somewhat famously alexander's army then mutinied at this point very shortly afterwards this is the furthest east they ever got uh, and uh, wanted to go back to india and one of the reasons they'd mutinied was that they'd heard of the, a, a powerful empire to the east in india that they're about to encounter called the nanda empire which dominated this northeastern part of india at the time oh. so that's why alexander's one of the, one of the reasons in addition to just generally being you know expansionist quite no well one of the reasons they mutinied um, exhausted just absolutely exhausted right exactly yeah i mean alex is great but i mean the army's wrecked yeah you know at that stage they've gone very far east they've conquered everything massive logistics posts must take ages to get to them (laughs) how many years are on the road for blisters they're not getting care packages no care packages (laughs) 
So there's a whole bunch of reasons. And, and, and it isn't just the Nanda Empire, but the Nanda Empire was like something they're about to have to go and tackle next. And they thought, no, that's too much for us. So anyway, Alexander's army turned around and they scarped mm-hmm. back to Macedonia. Uh, but in their wake... They had hugely influenced the military culture of that area because of all the way that the way they conducted themselves, the kind of battles they'd fought, the way they'd handled their um, politics and logistics and playing people off against each other and all that sort of thing. And all of those lessons then became really important for later warlords in that mm. next hundred years and influenced the way that they went about. Uh, now, how were they leaving these? Were they like scribbling down notes and then just sort of <laughs> throwing them behind them, or was it was it uh, people were observing it? Was it internship, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like what vocational were college. Like? Yeah, no. Well, they so they famously subscribed to Kanban, so they had um, <laughs> they had lots of post its, yeah. lots of post its everywhere. Yeah. They got a burn down board, um, yeah. and, and but they, they those post its were then left everywhere, all okay. over Northwest India. His yeah. full title is Alexander the Great project manager yeah. so hey product product visionary, product visionary. <laughs> and and, uh, and so lots of people who came uh, next learned from um from the lessons that they had um picked up from from the, their the post-its yeah from the from the post-its this is very much by the way i think the role our podcast plays for the modern listener is really a school in expansionist <laughs> uh, conquest we are very um, famously expansionist yeah and so this is where Ashoka's grandfather comes in. So the point really I'm trying to make about Ashoka and all this history uh, that comes before him is that Ashoka actually arrived with a lot of things going for him. Uh, so Ashoka's grandfather was really the one who came out of semi-obscurity, picked up on all the lessons from Alexander, knocked out the Nanda Empire and established quite a large empire in any, any way in, oh, in the cool. first place. Okay. So really... Ashoka's grandfather, cool dude, future episode maybe. So it's a real from riches to riches kind of story. <laughs> yeah. you know, just born into kinghood. And it's then, a Trumpian, like, yeah, yeah, from yeah. riches to ever so slightly more riches. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, and then Ashoka himself was the... Uh, the so this is um, now 60 years later after this time. And Ashoka himself was like the least favoured son uh, of uh, in his dynasty. And, and that was partly because of the two women that his father married... His um, Ashoka's mother was the least high status, was the lowest status per woman. And so as a result, Ashoka really struggled. And then when his father died, he had to fight his brothers or his half-brothers to gain control of the kingdom. So there's about a four-year civil Mm -hmm. war. And Ashoka at this point, one of the reasons he he managed to get the uh, success he got was because he was so aggressive and vicious, but also quite cunning in terms of the politicking and he brought the father's ministers with him and that kind of thing but basically he fought this four year civil war and now, that's how he got the power what TV show mm-hmm. would you say this is most like <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, Rugrats <laughs> yes I was thinking the same thing <laughs> or The Office because of the, the post-its <laughs> sorry go on I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to say it <laughs> <laughs> For the listeners at home, there's a fine for whoever says this TV show first. <laughs> and once they'd uh, finished their playing around over these seats of authority, <laughs> uh, he then embarked on a massive campaign to expand the territory that he'd already been given, which, as we discussed, is already quite a lot of territory. And so uh, he embarked on a, a bunch of different battles and at the last one, the final one, really, was an enor- enormous scale, took forever to break into a city uh, which was under siege, and these people wouldn't give up. And in the end, hundreds of thousands of people were killed, um, either as a direct result of the violence in this area in northeast India or uh, as a result of the disease and pestilence that took place during the siege situation. Mm. So uh, absolute devastation. And one of these, th- I think, as an aside... 
you know, I think in in like in the West, we're just totally unfamiliar with like the vast scale of these things happening in yeah. Eastern India at the time. And uh, and it was in that context that he had this realization that maybe war was a bad thing. Uh-huh. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, and then he became uh, much more pacifistic after that. Although. One could, to be cynical for a moment, mm. accuse him of really only becoming a pacifist now that there was basically nowhere else left to conquer. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, as you mentioned, as mentioned earlier, he then ruled what he'd already conquered with a t- with an iron fist, anyway. Yeah. And then, so during this that like latter stage of his career, once he had settled on the territory he'd actually then seized, he then very conveniently became a pacifist and turned to Buddhism and. That period there was then characterized, to be fair on him, by a very long period of stability mm-hmm. and relatively speaking, like calm politically, which meant he could expand the cultural influence of that empire nice. across, across India. Okay. okay. And, and so they ended up bringing Buddhism to places it wasn't before. It ended up pushing Buddhism a bit further east and then also down to places like Sri Lanka, which is where the, originally where it took hold in Sri Lanka was during that period because, okay. of, his, um, because of his influence. Uh, and that was... Ashoka, pretty yeah. influential. <laughs> now, yeah, not to be Important totally dude. binary about it, but I'm confused. Yeah, good guy or bad guy? Yeah. Okay, yeah. right. Sorry. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I let's need to have simplify. A final yeah, simplify. Really need to simplify this. Down. I'm going to say, um, much, much like um, a modern day tech magnet, <laughs> he he chose to accumulate power. Yeah. And then use it for good. Now, when you say magnet, mm. do you mean? I mean, magnate? no. I, yeah, I, it's, yeah, pronounced magnet. Is it Planet's Magnet? Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh. Okay. No, sorry, to be clear, I'm talking about the electromagnetic. <laughs> the <active laughs> a tech magnet. I, I'm yeah, talking about yeah. tech magnet like in my speaker in my laptop. Yeah. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah, so what, what do we say? So so good then, bad then good? Or bad so he could be good? Or Oh, yeah, good to be bad. Good to be bad? There's a lot. Of yeah. All right. Well, a nuanced character. Neutral, trending, positive. Uh, <laughs> or be- I think net neutral. Net, net neutral. Net neutral. Net neutral. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. There you are. Nice. Ashoka. I today am in China. Well, I'm not. I'm in the I'm in the podcast <laughs> studio, but metaphorically. And uh, this is the first time we've talked about China on the podcast, which I think is oh. is interesting, right? Yeah, because well, famously, no history has happened in China. <laughs> right, very short history. Very very yeah. sporadic bursts of history. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of like saving them up for when we got a BCE year, and so today, yeah, yeah. here we go. Uh, so. As a background, at this time in China, it is not united. It is, in fact, split into seven kingdoms. <laughs> She's oh. going to say it. She's going to say it. It's not. Is it really? It really is. I'm oh not kidding. Um, I will not say the name of the show, George. Um, <laughs> uh, but yes, the seven kingdoms, and it's a time called the Warring States Period. Uh, I helpfully found this description. The Warring States period was an era in ancient Chinese history characterized by warfare. Why are you pronouncing <laughs> the full stop in that way? Oh, oh. Okay. that took me a long time. Um, Americans, you don't get I'm that joke. cutting this one out. Yeah. <laughs> so the Warring period starts in around 475 BCE, and we're still going a couple hundred years later. Today's protagonist is a man named Ying Zheng. And he is the son of the king of Qin. And Qin's were one of the states in the Warring States period. Uh, And around the time in question, 
238 BC, maybe, he becomes king of Qin. Uh, and then he sets about uniting all of the warring states to have a unified China uh, yeah. for, I think, maybe the first time, or at least the first time in a long time. Uh, his plan focused on allying with distant states and attacking nearby ones, which huh. was one of the 36 stratagems. That's really interesting. Yeah. So just a quick sidebar on the 36 stratagems. This is an essay about warfare that probably originated in written and oral history, and then different versions were compiled by different authors throughout Chinese history. Uh, and all of the stratagems are these wonderfully simple but really layered, complex yeah, yeah, metaphors. Yeah. Uh, and I'd like to mention a few of them because the names are really incredible, including hide a knife behind a smile, which mm, is, I think, what ice. Will does every that day. That is so true. <laughs> uh, borrow a corpse to resurrect the soul. That is less clear to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, remove the firewood from under the pot. Yeah. What? what uh, I wouldn't, I'd say that's a thing you must do with pots rather than a stratagem for warfare. In order to capture, one must let loose. Yeah, like party hard. <laughs> party hard. Work hard, yeah. play hard. Work hard, play hard. And yeah. then finally, uh, take the opportunity to pilfer a goat. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that one being, you know, as you're, as you're warring, if you have the opportunity to materially hurt your enemy as well as sort of enact violence on them, you should mm -hmm. take that opportunity. You should okay. take their stores. You should take their animals. Pilfer uh, their goats. Okay. Fair yeah. Well. So a little sidebar in the 36 stratagems there. Anyway, back to Ying Zhang's wars of unification. Uh, there is just an impossible number of wars and surrenders and natural disasters and battles. I mean, Will, you would even get tired of it. Uh, suffice it to say that Ying Zhang and the Qin unified all seven warring states in just nine years. Very impressive. Wow. Um, I will share one particularly brutal story is that the crown prince of the state of Yan attempted to assassinate Ying Zhang, even though the prince's father was trying to negotiate an alliance with him. Um, the attempt fails. Ying Zhang is pissed and decides that instead of an alliance, he'll make war against the Yan. This does not go very well for the Yan. And ultimately, the king of Yan orders his son's execution and sends his head to Qin as an apology for the assassination oh, attempt. Oh, wow. So he kills his own son. He kills son. his own son because his son tried to assassinate this guy. Did that successfully take the log from underneath the kettle? <laughs> the pot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think for sure uh, <laughs> it was in order to capture one must let loose. Yeah, that is loose as it gets, it's, really. It's loosey-goosey. Uh, but it worked. Chin accepted the apology, if we can call it that, uh, and he doesn't attack Yan for the next three years, which okay, is nice. Three years. <laughs> That is the most profuse level of apology available, isn't it? Pretty yeah. big. And uh, one son's head is worth three years of peace. So <laughs> yeah. it doesn't scale very well. Not very well. But he did. He took over the place in seven years. I mean, Nine years, yeah. Nine yeah. years. Yeah. Massive, Massive area of land. Area of seven land. kingdoms. Yeah. The, and, and I actually want to come on to that because we're talking about huge numbers of people here. Yeah. So a few episodes ago, we were, we were marveling at the Safavids bringing 40,000 troops to Kandahar mm -hmm. and all their tactical rabbits. Um, <laughs> but it was reported that the Chin had 1 million infantry. No, don't wow. buy it. 1,000 chariots and 10,000 horses. How do they all fit in all those chariots and horses? No way. <laughs> I mean, so it's, it's, it is probable That's that the numbers were... 100,000 people per chariot. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. So it's probable that the numbers were exaggerated, but 
I still think we're talking about just enormous armies. I mean, even can I just a, hang on? It's a hundred people per chariot, which is still impressive. Sorry, did yeah. I get my maths wrong? But yeah. it's still. I mean, you, that's you know, how many layers up are you there? You probably have to. Well, I suppose you could, be, you could get you could get ten ten crammed in, and then yeah. and then another nine layers on their shoulders. That's a like, big human pyramid. Yeah, but it's you like gotta a, have a lot of core strength to hold that many people on top. Yeah, it's of like you. one of those chariot display teams you see at fairs. <laughs> <laughs> what fairs do you go to? That has chariot display teams. <laughs> you know, one of those fairs. I've been to a fair, and they had like a motorbike display. I'm team. convinced you're a time traveler from ancient <laughs> Greek. I'm absolutely convinced of this. Oh yeah, the chariots. Um, but, but, even if they were exaggerating the numbers, yeah, like they wouldn't, yeah, exaggerate that much. Even as an order of magnitude, that's no, still exactly. hundred thousand. Yeah, people. exactly. It's not like oh, there were five hundred guys yeah. and they wrote down it's a million. Like it was huge. Um, so once Ying Zheng has unified the kingdoms, he takes a new name, and I listened to a pronunciation of this about fifty times, and I'm still gonna botch it. But uh, his new name is Qin Shi Huang, which means first emperor of Qin. Is there a question mark at the end of his name? <laughs> nope, that's just me saying, was that right? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so once he's emperor, he does some bad things like banning and burning books and oh. executing scholars, um, none of which I am in favor of. Mm. Um, but Well, it, it depends on the scholar, <laughs> really, in the book. Well, and here's the thing. He, it's possible, it's theorized that he was burning books uh, because he wanted to focus his scholars' minds on the quest for immortality. Okay. He's so. obsessed with alchemy, finding the elixir yeah. of life. Um, and some historians speculate that he executed his scholars as a test of their abilities because if they had <laughs> Whoa, discovered, okay. you know, the yeah, magic, yeah, yeah. they'd just come back to life. Did, did he discover it in the end? Um, uh... <laughs> or is that a spoiler? That's a spoiler. <laughs> okay, okay. Where did you get I mean, there? Yeah. Can I just... Uh, were, you, were you just attempting to somewhat qualify or, uh, or <laughs> even defend the, the execution of scholars? Um, no, no. <laughs> Historians are. And okay, as okay. it has become patently obvious, How many I am scholars not do you think it's worth killing to discover the elixir of life? I don't... Well, I, I don't know how many you'd have to do. I mean, I, I'm just trying to imagine how the conversation would go. And I suppose it's something along the lines of, so so you got an elixir of life, have you? And, <laughs> and, and they're like, yeah. And like, okay, how sure are you? Are you me kill you right now, sure? <laughs> um, uh, no. Well, then you're a bad scholar killing and, you anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. Well, better than being the ninth guy on the chariot stack. <laughs> oh, God. Imagine being the base layer of the chariot stack. Um, so just to, <laughs> just to round it out a little bit, uh, he did some, some, I think, objectively positive things. Uh, he built a massive new national rail, uh, road system, infrastructure okay, we love, and he commissioned the Terracotta Army. Oh, you know, those yes, guys, the yes, statues, yes, 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 this, yes. The, the World Heritage Site, 8,000 Terracotta soldiers and hundreds of chariots and horses, um, and... So he died in 210 BCE, and if we get 
that year or close to it. I'm going to do a whole episode. But what was what was the purpose of that terracotta army? To like guard his, yeah, his, tomb. his tomb. And it's so fascinating because when they first discovered it, the terracotta soldiers were not terracotta. They were beautifully painted. Yeah. And they oxidized extremely quickly and faded into the sort of terracotta brown. So they stopped the excavation yeah. of them. So they're still you know, innumerable number of terracotta soldiers still buried. They Why did they stop the excavation? Because as soon as you expose it to air, they didn't have the technique, the cost, whatever it so was. So they're waiting for some future decade when they could yeah. potentially... Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. When the tech magnet <laughs> comes and sucks all the air out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Magnetically. Um, yeah, terracotta army, super, super cool. Check our Insta. I'll put something up about it. Uh, and the last cool thing that um, Qin Shi Huang did is he unified the Great Wall of China... Sort of. Yeah. So <laughs> walls had been built as early as the 7th century BCE, including around the kingdoms that he had just conquered. So he ordered that those walls be demolished. And then he built new walls to fortify the northern frontier. And then successive dynasties built up around it until it became the Great Wall as it exists today. Uh, and one more note about the size of the empire. It's estimated by some authors that hundreds of thousands, if not up to a million workers, died building his wall. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, yeah. The, 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 the Great Wall of China is, you know, is a massive, massive, yeah. massive thing. Yeah. And it's not just one perimeter. It's like all spiderwebby and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, exactly. It's, it goes everywhere. So some, I, don't, I, think, I don't think any of his wall exists, but certainly what was built up on top of his wall exists. Um, so one f- just final postscript to answer your question, Ant, about if if he did discover the elixir of life. <laughs> Is he here today? Is he a special guest? I'd like to introduce friend of the pod, <laughs> Qin Shi Huang. Um, he does die in two, uh, okay. 210 BCE, possibly from ingesting the mercury that his alchemist said would give him immortality. Oh. Yeah. yeah. You know, quicksilver. Big Not whoop, because he whoopsie. just forgot to drink the elixir that day yeah, yeah well yeah. we'll never know you know it, he could have just forgotten to drink it please do not drink mercury at yes. home just gonna go ahead don't and do that demand that um don't but don't his... tell people how to live their lives <laughs> okay. you're, you're right we're a very libertarian podcast and <laughs> Look, so you know what everyone if you want to go and drink mercury you go and drink some mercury people should be free you're to open carry mercury wherever they want <laughs> <laughs> please please don't do that <laughs> so one uh one final story i know i've said one final bit like eight times but this guy is so interesting um after he died, he was like out on the road and his prime minister was really concerned that if people heard the emp- the emperor had died, the unified kingdom would fall apart. So they legitimately like weekend at Bernie's this guy <laughs> for the two month journey back to the capital. Oh, wow. They put him in his carriage. They pulled down the shades. They changed his clothes daily. And then in a stroke of genius slash insanity, they ordered two carts of rotting fish to be driven before and after his carriage huh. to disguise the smell of oh, his God. rotting yeah, 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 yeah. corpse. Wow. Um, I don't know if that's one Why of the 36 stratagems. Well, and I guess in case someone saw him. If they had the blinds down. Yeah, you know, redundancy. Yeah, right? okay, fine. Uh, or maybe just out of a sense of honor. Mm. Anyway, when they got back to the capital two months later, they announced his death. Um, after having time to prepare, but I thought that was just an absolutely. But that's wild interesting. They didn't story. like embalm him, and yeah, because the, in, in Egypt at the time they were already doing that, right? Yeah, yeah Ptolemy well, would have sort of made it. No problem. Ptolemy would have. It's possible that they were just. I mean, if they were two months journey away from the capital, it's possible that they were just somewhere really remote that didn't have, didn't the, have the embalming, embalming kit, with them. kit. I thought he'd yeah. be pretty well pickled with mercury in his blood as well. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was a totally wild story, and he's a he's a really interesting guy, and then um. 
you know, we'll learn more about China later, I'm sure, because... No, that's the only thing that ever <laughs> that's happened That's the only there. thing that ever happened yeah. until the Beijing Olympics, which is outside of the Outside, outside of the range. Outside 2008, we can't do it. So we, we can't do that's it. it. Well, I really enjoyed that, full stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 237 was a tough one. It was really tough. But I'm really... I'm. I'm really proud of what we did. We're over the threshold level of believability there for all of it, which is not technically impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Each of the claims made. Very proud of us. Yeah, Yeah. not too shabby, guys. (laughs) There you are, 237 BCE. So, good news. We have succumbed to peer pressure and we have a Patreon now where we've had people signing up for one of our three tiers of membership. And uh, we thought we should do a bit of a shout out to our first ever board member who signed up a while ago. That's right. And worth knowing that the three tiers get you slightly different things. So you can be a friend of the club, which gives you basically a warm and fuzzy feeling for supporting us <laughs> <laughs> and in one day in the future if we ever ran ads you would get to not listen, have to listen to those ads yeah. which is great and then the next tier is being a club member which means you get an even greater level of smugness you'll also get early invites to our live events and an invitation to our quarterly quiz that we will be doing online and then the top tier is Board members. Board uh, members. These are the kind of people that cruise through life in <laughs> plush leather clad exteriors. Yes. They have a glass of brandy or cognac at all times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, just the gentle clink of diamonds as they walk by. They have servants who could uh, summon up a cart of dead fish to oh, disguise. Yes. When they die, before and after them, wherever they go. <laughs> and if you're not one of these people already, you will become one of those people as soon as you oh, join the club guaranteed. board. Uh, so you have that to look forward to. And we'd like to give a shout out to one of those members today. So Vivek, thanks so much for yes, joining and you. becoming a member of the club board. We appreciate your support. He was actually our first official ever board member. Yeah, absolute hero. Absolute hero. And uh, I would also like to shout out a friend of the pod, a great friend of the pod, Chinway. She's been all over the socials, tweeting, liking, Instagram. Uh, so you can find her in the like section of, <laughs> of our Instagram. She is my only non-you Twitter follower at the moment, yeah. I would have to say. So thank you very much did, uh, did you say non-eu or non- <laughs> non-you as in the two as of in you the sheep. Oh, yeah. no the two of yeah the sheep <laughs> but you don't have to sign up for any of our patrons etc just by listening we consider you an acquaintance of the show uh, <laughs> <laughs> a colleague a colleague yeah. no i wouldn't go that far i think non-paying customer <laughs> <laughs> a thief a mooter thief. we consider, a we consider you all thieves <laughs> Uh, and the only way you can repay us is to tell your friends and keep subscribed and listening. It does mean a lot to us. We get a kick out of us and it means we'll just keep on going making more. And in fact, to do more, we need our next year. So Ooh, yes. can we boot up the random number generator? We can. I will fuel it up with rotten fish. <laughs> <laughs> it really takes anything. It's like the DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> and... Okay, it's up to full speed. And the year for next week is... Uh-huh. 1531. 15... 1531. Okay, 1531. back to comparatively modern yeah, very, times. Very That's quite exciting. Yeah. 
what are we thinking? Mm. What, I've no idea. Hang on. What Shakespeare? happened? Shakespeare, definitely Shakespeare, yeah. <laughs> I mean, genuinely close. Uh, when was he? 16 something. He was a bit sure. later. Yeah, I think a he was a bit, bit later. later. Um, no, 1531, uh, I think England was found. Shakespeare's conception. I actually, <laughs> ooh, I need to, I might have an idea. Oh. <laughs> Oh, just the one. Brilliant. Uh, and, and so cliffhanger on that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, you cool. To, you have to tune in and see if I did have an idea. On that cliffhanger. <laughs> see you next week for Anna's idea. Toodles. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.